good singing. And we can trust him with our life. Those are meaningful words. Let's take our Bible tonight and be turning to the book of Revelation. And we're going to get right into the message and then we'll have some time at the end to give some further details about our conference and some things that are going on as we prepare. So we'll leave a little time for that. <clears throat> Good to see you tonight. Revelation chapter 14. It was really rewarding, uh, encouraging this morning to have a family with us for the first time. And that family came as a direct result of people inviting people yesterday. Went to their door, invited them, and, and uh, Lily knew them. And so it was great. I, I was just thinking about her this morning. How exciting that is to go out inviting people and then see someone that you invited show up. There's, that's, there's just something special about that, right? And, uh, and so that's what it's about. They don't all come, but some will, and some will hear. They're hearing the gospel, and so we're very thankful uh, for that. It's good to meet them and follow up with them, of course. Uh, Revelation chapter 14, and let's stand together. If you're able to stand uh, for the reading of the scripture, we'll read just a few verses in beginning. Um, Revelation chapter 14, like a number of verses or chapters we've talked about in this study, this ongoing study about things that will happen in the future, uh, it's, it's, they're not all chronological, and this is one of those chapters. It talks about several different things that will be taking place during the final days of the Great Tribulation, and I, and I find all of them just fascinating, really, and I hope that, uh, hope that all of us will benefit from this. And um, so let's, let's look into verse 1. And I looked, John says, verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name, the lamb's father's name, written in their foreheads, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which are not defiled, were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, please tonight bless as we study your word together, as we think about the revelation and the things that you clearly tell us will occur in the future. God, we, we want to be um, 
rightly dividers of the word of truth, and we want to know the truth. And so please guide us, instruct us, challenge us, help us to be focused in learning. Most of all, we want you, God, as we receive with meekness the engrafted word, we want you to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, you will remember uh, some weeks ago, um, we looked at these 144,000 in chapter 14. John looked and said he saw a lamb. Obviously, this lamb is, of course, Jesus. And he said he saw this lamb, on verse 1, on Mount Zion, which is Mount Zion, of course, is in Jerusalem, but there's also a heavenly Mount Zion, and that's what he's talking about. This is not the earthly Mount Zion because you see in verse 3 and in verse 5, he's talking about them being before the throne of God and being redeemed from the earth. Uh, Take your Bible, if you would, hold your finger there in Revelation and go to the left to the book of Hebrews. And we see another reference to this, Mount Zion in heaven, Hebrews chapter 12. Give you just a moment to find that. Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, notice this, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. So when John saw the lamb on Mount Zion. He, was, he wasn't talking about in Jerusalem. He was talking about in heaven. And with the lamb, we're back in Revelation 14, were the 144,000. We first met these 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7. Let's just look at that briefly in case you weren't here uh, when we cover this. And we'll just look at a couple of verses. Revelation chapter 7 and verse uh, for it says, and I heard the number of them that were sealed. They were these, these number of the people that were sealed, and that seal is referred to in Revelation 14. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And he goes down in verses 5 and following. Of every tribe, of the 12 tribes, every tribe there was 12,000, 144,000. And who were these 144,000? I'm going to go back to Revelation 14, and I'll talk while you're turning. These were uh, Jewish evangelists, basically. They were converted Jews, um, and during the first part of the tribulation period, they're preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel to the world. 12,000 of every tribe of Israel. And they had this mark, the Bible said, over in Revelation chapter 7, and also here in Revelation 14.1, having his father's name written in their forehead. So they had this mark. Now, keep in mind, this is the Revelation period when the mark of the beast is being pressed upon many unbelievers, those who, who reject the gospel, they reject Christ, and they worship the Antichrist, they have their mark, and these Jewish evangelists had the mark on their foreheads, the Father's name on their foreheads. It goes on and says in verse 3 of Revelation 14, John says, they sung as it were 
a new song before the throne. Try to visualize this if you could. These 144,000 choir members are singing a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and elders. No man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. John heard this sound of their singing. Verse 2, I've skipped over that verse reading through it there just now, but he heard this voice from heaven, the sound of many waters, the voice of many waters, the voice of a great thunder, voices of harps, harping with their harps. And so John hears this great sound of 144,000, these Jews, converted Jews who, who were preaching the gospel are now in heaven, a combined worship with this great heavenly orchestra. Imagine the sound of that, just singing and worshiping, praising God. And they're singing, verse 3 says, before the throne. Their audience, as they're singing, is God. They're singing before the throne of God, praising and glorifying God, the Creator. And um, it, verse 3 says, there's this song that they were singing, no one could learn that song. No one was able to sing and understand that song but these 144,000. They were saved at the beginning of the tribulation. They saw firsthand the wrath of the Antichrist, the anti-God culture, and they're singing praises to the one who saved them and who they served. It talks about their character down a little bit further in verse 4, he says they were never defiled themselves with women. They're virgins. So these are moral men. Their spiritual character is impeccable. They maintain their moral purity. It says they follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Jesus, John says Jesus, that Jesus is the focus of their devotion and their service. He goes on to say in the last part of verse 4, they are the first fruits unto God and the Lamb, the first of many of Jewish people who will be converted during the tribulation period. It says also in verse 5 that the, in their mouth was found no deception, no guile, no hypocrisy, for they're without fault before the throne of God. So the first thing John saw was the Lamb and all these 144,000 who are no longer on the earth but now they're in heaven. The next thing that John saw, if you look in verse 6, and beginning in verse 6 and following, we will see a series of angels introduced. And verse 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, this angel, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So John sees another angel. The word angel, it means a messenger. Uh, the Greek word angelos is a messenger. These are God's messengers. Uh, Brother Jedi mentioned uh, last Sunday night in talking about delivering the message of the gospel, uh, the evangelist, the word evangelize or evangelist 
has this phrase in it. It's euangelizo, which is a messenger of the gospel. These angels are God's messengers. And this is very interesting to me in verse um, 6 and 7, because this angel, in the midst of heaven in verse 6, is proclaiming, verse 7 says, with a loud voice, the everlasting gospel to them who live upon the earth. Now, when is this taking place? This is during the tribulation period. All believers on the earth prior to the great tribulation are taken off the earth. The rapture of the saints. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to be in heaven when all this is taking place. And God is preparing to pour out, as we'll see tonight, His great wrath upon the earth. And even in the midst of God's pouring out his wrath upon the earth, he sends an angel that will go through the atmosphere, through the sky, with a loud voice proclaiming the good news of salvation. That's what the Bible says. To, look in verse 6. To all them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, every kindred, Every tongue and people will hear the gospel. The gospel will be announced to everybody on the earth. That's an incredible thing. When I think about nations uh, that have many nationalities, many ethnic groups, many languages, some nations will have 8, 10, 15, 20, 50. Africa has many languages in that, as well as many other countries have many languages. And every one of those people in every language, in every place, in every tongue is going to hear the gospel. During the great tribulation, uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing. And during this time, multitudes of people, as you, we've been covering this earlier, but people are in hiding, people are fleeing, people are, people are seeing what's happening, the great changes in the world, the rule of the Antichrist, and people are I'm sure hiding in caves and jungles and everywhere they can to avoid this one world government that's, that's just going to destroy much of the world. They're hiding in fear. And yet I think some of those people who are hiding in fear are going to hear the gospel and that they might be saved. Even in the closing days and months of time, the message of salvation is still being Proclaimed. I'll tell you, this is such a testimony tonight to the mercy of God, to the grace of God, that during this, this time of tribulation, even during this, just the tribulation time, he sent 144,000 evangelists to evangelize the world. He sent two witnesses who would preach the gospel during that first portion of the tribulation period in Revelation 11. We read about that. Jesus spoke of this, I believe, in Matthew 24 when he said this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This, what a great God, what a gracious God, what a merciful God, that even at this time he's reaching out to those who will respond and turn to Christ. Now what was the message of the gospel that they preached in verse 7? with a loud voice, fear God. Don't fear the Antichrist, fear God. Give glory to Him. Don't worship the Antichrist. 
Give glory to God for the hour of His judgment. God's judgment has come. God is about to judge. Worship Him, the Creator that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. What a powerful message to proclaim to all that will hear. The, the world is about to be, we'll see it in a moment. Unbelievable judgment. The wrath of God, the unhindered full measure of the wrath of God poured out. And yet, even before this wrath is poured out, God is reaching out to people with the gospel, with the good news. Don't listen, you know, I have, I respect people's opinions and I, 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 I try to be gracious when they say things that I know are so contrary to scripture, but people want to talk about how God is not good and God is not merciful and, and, and why would a loving God do this? I'm telling you, God sent his son to the earth and suffered and died for us. And even the last possible moment, this loving God is reaching out with, with his hand of mercy and calling people to himself. That's the God of the Bible. Then we see another angel in verse 8. And there followed another, followed another angel saying, this was his message, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now we'll talk more about this in future lesson, but Babylon, Babylon was a city, historic city in, in what is now Iraq. And uh, it was really, we think about the Tower of Babel, it was the birthplace of an attempt for a world religion. And from Babylon, every false world system, religious system has come. I mean, so much in, in the Roman religion came out of Babylon. These are, it's a reality. These, and uh, you see much of it in the Old Testament. Some of their talking in the Old Testament, this was a form of this Babylon religion. And we get over into a further in the book of Revelation that we'll see the fall of the political uh, Babylon. We'll see the, the fall of the commercial Babylon, the fall of the religious Babylon, Revelation chapter 19. So Babylon represents the, this satanic world system that has been against God from the first part of the book of Genesis and the Tower of Babel. And it just continues to grow its influence. Sometimes it's talking about a religious system. Sometimes it's talking about an economic system. The one world government is talking about a political system. But John just says here, this angel is going to announce the fall of Babylon. Then we see another angel in verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, Here's another warning, a plea for people to listen. Saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image 
and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So here's the third angel. And basically what this third angel is doing is warning people. This is what's going to happen if you take the mark of the beast. There's going to be great pressure to take the mark of the beast because people won't be able to buy or sell, the Bible says, without that mark. There's going to be great pressure to take the mark of the beast. And yet God in His mercy sends an angel out saying, don't take the mark. If you take the mark, this is what's going to happen. He's, his warning is to, is to those who would be inclined to worship the beast or take the mark. By the way, um, we, we live in a generation that is seeing the technology, the, the various methods that could be used to identify people with the mark. But people seem to have the idea that you could unintentionally get the mark of the beast. Like you may be tricked into getting the mark by taking a vaccine. Or you may be tricked into getting... No, people are going to intentionally take the mark of the beast. They won't be tricked into it. They will say, this is what we're going to do. And the angel is warning them against doing that. And he says, don't, don't, be, don't fall for this. By the way, this is the struggle. We're, we're looking at this play out here, but it's really a struggle of the ages. God is calling people to serve Him. The angel is saying, believe the gospel. Come to Christ. Turn from your sin. Another angel is saying, don't take the mark because the Antichrist is saying you need this mark. You must take this mark. If you're going to survive, you have to have the mark. And it's like Satan is luring people on one side and God is drawing people on the other side. And young person, think about this. This is really the struggle that plays out in people's lives today. But it's going to be magnified in that time. And the, and the good news is God is calling us to himself. Now, something you ought to think about in case you don't take this seriously, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve one or the other. You can't serve sin and self and serve God. You've got to make a choice. The people in this day are going to make a choice. Now, this may be hard for us to imagine, hard for us to visualize, but these, these pleas are going to come from heaven, from angelic beings saying, Turn to God. Put your faith in the Lord. And then they've got the Antichrist with his megaphone saying you must turn to us. And then you have another angel saying don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. And so people in the tribulation are being warned not to do so. You say, well, what if a person takes the mark? We read about it in verses 10 and 11. They're going to experience the full measure of God's wrath. The Bible says... In verse uh, 10, they'll be tormented with fire and brimstone. In verse 11, it says, The smoke of their torment, excuse me, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up for a while, no, forever, forever and ever. Imagine a person intentionally, intentionally refusing the gospel and thinking, well, I'll take my chances. And then to find out you're going to suffer in the fire and, and brimstone, the torment forever and forever and forever. That's a long time, isn't it? What a foolish choice not to turn to Christ. What a foolish choice not to believe the gospel. 
Then we have in verse 13, John says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now that's not the first time he says this about the... Um, oh, excuse me, I, read, I skipped over verse 12. That goes with verse 13. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. That's not the first time that phrase is mentioned. It's mentioned in 13 and 10, chapter 13 and 10. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints there in chapter 13. Verse 12 of chapter 14. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm going to read 13 again. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. So the word patience, uh, usually in the Bible, doesn't mean just to wait patiently, although sometimes it does, but often it, it means to endure something. The word, the hupo, Moni, it means to bear up under something. It means to endure something. And so you got these, the saints in verse 12 and 13 um, who are going to enter into eternal rest. It says, those who die in the Lord will rest from their labors and their works to follow them. You know, the saints endure a great deal in this world, but I'm telling you, they're going to endure a great deal in the tribulation. Great, great difficulty. Great hardship. Many of them will be beheaded. Many of them will, will be killed for their faith. But think about their eternal, their eternal reward, their eternal rest, their eternal blessing. So to me, you see these contrasts in Revelation 14. You've got those who take the mark in verses 9 through 11 that will be eternally in torment in the fire and brimstone of hell. And then verses 12... And 13, you have those who are saved. By the way, how did, what, what are some characteristics of saved people? Verse 12, they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. They believe in Jesus and they obey God. And the voice from heaven says, right from here on out, those who, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. They're going to be rewarded forever. For their works, for their labor. By the way, if you ever get to thinking, you know, it's not worth it serving the Lord, you ought to rethink that. Because the rewards, the blessings of serving the Lord go on forever. Just like the torment of rejecting Christ goes on forever. So then the next thing in verse 14, John saw something else. Verse 14, he said, I looked and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat likened to the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So he sees this cloud, and one on the cloud like the Son of Man, and uh, having on his head a golden, a golden crown, and in his hand, verse 14, a sharp sickle, and that sharp sickle will really apply to what everything that's said in the rest of this chapter. 
Now, who is this one sitting on a cloud? No doubt it's Jesus. Um, I was reading a little while ago this passage in Matthew 24, that great passage where Jesus is describing the last days, end times. And it says this in Matthew 24, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is Jesus in verse 14. John saw him, and he has in his hand a sharp sickle. And why is that? It's because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Look in verse 15. And another angel... I said earlier, there's going to be a series of angels. There's several more here. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. This angel crying to the one sitting on the cloud, and this is what he says, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So this is a time of great harvest. And uh, what are they harvesting? They're going to harvest. They're going to reap the fruit of all these rejectors of the gospel, these antichrist worshipers. And it says um, in verse 17, another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So we have now, you have Jesus with the sharp sickle. You have the angel crying out to Jesus, thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come. And the earth was reaped. And then you have another angel in verse 17, which also has a sharp sickle. And look in verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, the one in verse 17, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. You know... When we were talking about uh, the Garden of Gethsemane in uh, the Sunday morning series in Mark and about the wine press, the wine press is, is there's very different, different kinds of wine presses, but the wine press um, basically crushes these grapes, just crushes them until all of the juice comes out of the grapes, until there's just... Just, and that's exactly what's going to happen here. He says that these, all the fruit of the earth, verse 19, all the fruit of these, of these pagan, blasphemous Christ rejectors are going to be gathered together and cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now this is, this is hard to imagine how this, this great wine press is going to crush those who are cast 
into it. But it's going to be an incredible thing. And how incredible is it going to be? Look in verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city, talking about, I believe, outside the city of Jerusalem. And I think this is something that will be described further. It's really the, the final big battle, the battle of Armageddon. The winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So this, this is hard to visualize, but Zechariah tells us that the, the nations of the world are going to assemble in Jerusalem. We'll see more of this further in the book of the Revelation. The nations of the world are going to come against Israel and come against Jerusalem. And they're going to be multiplied, multiplied thousands and millions of people. And at this point in time, the sickle is going to be cast out and they're going to be, they're going to be reaped. And they're going to feel the full measure of the weight of the wrath of God until the Bible says the blood will flow into horses' bridles. Think about that. And it says... 1,600 furlongs, which we don't use that as a measure of distance now. But if you go home and study that and study about what a furlong is and how it translates, that's like the distance of 175 or 80 miles. The blood is going to flow. You know, I come back to this. God is such a merciful God. God has been so long-suffering with the people of this planet and put up with so much nonsense. And what, what do we have to show for it? I'm not talking about we individually. I'm talking about as a nation, as a nation and as a world. We have, we have more and more people, more, more and more false religions, more and more idolatry, more and more blasphemy, more and more corruption, to where churches are, you know, churches are sympathetic to same-sex marriages, church, I call them churches, they're not true churches. Churches are allowing people who are sodomites to be in the pulpit. I mean, I'm generally, that's, the, that's what the world is becoming. And God has just been so long-suffering with planet Earth. He's been blasphemed. He has been publicly blasphemed. His name is, is profaned. His, his law is scoffed at. And, and people in the world, and I hope you're not like this, but people in the world just assume that God's okay with all of that. But what we're reading about here is God is going to set the record straight. And, and you say, don't you sympathize with those people? Right now, I, we care about reaching these people. We want them to be saved. God is going to send out in that day 144,000 witnesses preaching. He's got his two witnesses preaching. He's got his angel preaching. And people are just going to reject the truth and reject the gospel. And they're going to take the mark of the beast because they fall for that nonsense. And then ultimately, God's unrestrained wrath we saw a little glimpse of it when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw another picture of it when he destroyed the world with water in Noah's day and, in, and, and content, just absolutely took the entire human race off of the planet. 
But this is going to be a different form of judgment. His wrath is going to be poured out upon the world. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Aren't you glad for the gospel tonight? So as I read this passage, I think it's an interesting, an interesting chapter. Number one, we see the fate of the unsaved. It's a sad thing to consider. Forever is a long time. We see the fate of the unsaved. I hope everybody in this room is truly born again. I'm talking about spirit-regenerated children of God. I hope that's true. But I'm telling you, if, you don't get, if you're not and you don't get saved, this is what you have to look forward to. But also we see the mercy of God in the persistent proclamation of the gospel right up until the end. Thank God for that. And thirdly, we see the rest and the reward of saints who will rest from their labors. And, and I, you know, when I consider what people go through, have gone through in periods of time, persecutions, hardships, difficulties, martyrdom by the millions, when I consider that, I don't consider anything that I do to really be hardship considering what they have been through and what they will go through in, the, in that period of time we call the great tribulation. What they're going to go through, the persecution, the martyrdom, what they're going to go through. But I'm telling you, you say, well, why would they go through it? They'd do it for Jesus' sake. They'd do it for the gospel's sake. And I know people, because we, we think so temporally, thinking of things that are temporal, they think, man, to, I don't know if I'd want to live my whole life. I mean, I only have one life to live. Would I want to live my whole life serving God? You'll never, you should never regret that. Absolutely. Because we have this great privilege of serving Him. But we have forever to enjoy the rewards of a life of service to God. Forever is a long time. Amen? I don't, I've so enjoyed just studying this book of Revelation and thinking about things. that are, God gave us this book, not the Bible. It gave us the whole Bible, but He gave us this particular book that we might have understanding about what the future holds. And I've said this numerous times. You and I may not understand and won't understand everything and how it applies to everything, but I'm telling you, what we see is enough to make us rejoice in God's truth and God's goodness. So tonight, if you're saved, thank God for it. If you're saved, we ought to do all we can to warn people, flee, as John the Baptist said, Flee from the wrath to come. We ought to warn people. If you're saved, don't hesitate or question or doubt if it's worth it to serve the Lord. It's always worth it to serve the Lord. If you're not saved, you ought to get saved. You ought to get saved tonight and spend the rest of your days living for the Lord and serving the Lord. Let's bow our heads together, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.
Before we pray tonight, I just want to make a very sincere plea to anyone who might be here tonight who's not saved. There's a difference in acting like you're saved and being saved. Salvation changes a person's heart. It doesn't just change doesn't just change you on the outside, it changes you on the inside. It makes you a new creature, a new person. It's called new birth for a reason. Regeneration, conversion. Has that happened to you? Are you saved? Do you know you're saved? If not, wouldn't you want to be saved? Why would you not? You know, I think about these people in the tribulation period that are going to hear the angel announcing this everlasting gospel. And some of them were rejected. Maybe most of them rejected. We don't know. And I think, why, why, why? Why would you reject it? And yet there are people sitting here tonight, maybe, that you're rejecting it. It's not a good time for you. It's not what I want to do right now. You ought to think about God and think about your forever and not just think about right now. If you're tonight and you want to be saved, you ought to come. Let someone talk with you and pray with you and help you with that. Our Father, as we pray this evening, our minds are just um, taken with all that the future holds for this world. God, we see in our limited understanding, we see the direction this world is going. We see the decisions people are making. We're seeing, Lord, as the world is being set up for the takeover of the Antichrist, the one world government. God, I pray you'd open our eyes and speak to our hearts. I pray for those today who are here still struggling with decisions about how they're going to live their life. I pray that you'd, you'd work in people's hearts. God, I pray for that. Help us, all of us, to live with eternity in mind.